from newstalkzb.co.nz. It's the Mike Hosking Breakfast with BNZ. Welcome to the rewrap for Wednesday. All the best bits from the Mike Hosking Breakfast on Newstalk ZB in a sillier package. I am Glenn ZB. And this morning, uh, the Starbucks arrest, uh, it's got all kinds of social implications, apparently. Uh, Jamie Oliver uh, is having a bad day. The, uh, we're going to get stuck into carbon trading, I think. Back back to that one again. And uh, we've been nominated for something, but we don't know how. Uh, meanwhile, the Israel Folau story has got legs as well. well. There's a big difference between what Israel Folau has said and blowing something up. Is there? That's what you told me yesterday after I raised the subject and said, ultimately, I couldn't back him to say whatever he likes because my point is, where does it end? So, what I got out of Folau's heartfelt and well-argued piece available at an internet near you was he places his religious belief above his job, which is quite something, and that he's more than prepared to walk away. And I admire that conviction, but it's conviction based on biblical teachings. And if we accept you can do and say whatever you like based on biblical teachings, then why can't you go around quoting, believing and acting on any biblical teachings? History shows us versions of this have been happening for centuries, and in that is the problem. Falau is condemned by those who condemn as a homophobe. Other scenarios involve war, death and violence. A lot of historic conflict is a direct reaction to religious belief and teaching. So, what's the difference? Not a lot, really, given the outcome starts at roughly the same place. Some of us, and I include myself, want to let Falau say what he likes. I like the idea of free speech, but when left to its base devices, it can turn very ugly very quickly, which is why Falau is not in more trouble than he is. He has the partial protection of the Bible. And in that sense, it's not actually free speech at all. It's merely a reiteration of somebody else's speech. He's biblically parroting, if you like. But because we give weight to the Bible, he is in part sheltered from an outcome. If I, say, had said the same thing on this program, but not backed it up with some sort of religious belief, that would be hate speech. And I might likely be sacked, and if not sacked, certainly told to apologise. So if you give that level of weight and protection to religious belief, it must be applied fairly to all religious belief. And I don't think you need to be a scholar to know there's a lot of wacky activity out there masquerading as religion. Hence the comment about blowing things up. If you're doing it in the name of a god or a higher being or a belief, is that a crime? Or is it a heartfelt conviction? You see, once you open the door, it's too late. Which is where Folau has to realise that as a public figure and representative of his sport and country at the highest level, the rules change. You are not just an individual. You are part of something bigger. And that's a responsibility and or privilege that brings restraint, containment and restriction. So if he can't in all good conscience, uh, conscience accept that, then his plan to walk should have been accepted. Yeah, I think we would all just need to agree that Falau's a bit of a dick and move on, can't we? Um, Starbucks also acting dickishly by arresting people just for using their toilets. As the police themselves have pointed out, and what a line they have to walk these days, eh? The men concerned broke some rules, and some very well-known ones. They hadn't bought anything. So they weren't customers. Customers buy stuff and as a result are allowed to use the bathroom. Bathrooms, it is widely known, are not for general and public use for very obvious reasons. They are for the use of the customer. Most establishments operate this policy. It is not remotely unique to Starbucks. The rules apply to everyone, not men of colour. So having established they weren't customers, they were denied the bathroom use and asked to leave. They didn't. That was their first mistake. Entry to premises is at the discretion of the owner. The police arrive. The men were asked three more times to leave. They didn't. Their second, third 
and fourth mistakes. You follow the instructions of the police. Nothing to do with race, a lot to do with the law. Racial profiling is only racial profiling if there's evidence. There appears none other than suspicion. Suspicion is not good enough. So what do we really have here? A couple of blokes who felt aggrieved, caused a fuss, and eventually international upset, if not outrage, but all based on what? Their perception, not backed up by anyone, and certainly no evidence. And yes, if it was racial profiling, it is hard to prove. How do you out a racist? I get all of that. But in this age, without rage on tap, and a headline at the ready. What's a Starbucks to do? Do they flag the rules, do they? Do they have no rules at all? Do they open the toilet doors, never ask a question, never enforce the thing, just in case? In the quest to balance the ledger on social ills and wrongs, and the Me Too movement suffers the same problem, we've gone nuts. Logic, proof and evidence is out the door, and rage and revenge drives the narrative. We are on a slippery slope. There's people out there just waiting to boycott things, though, aren't there? So it's good. We should just all take it in turns to give them a reason to boycott something um, and give them something to do. Uh, maybe they could boycott cows. James Shaw made the announcement yesterday. He's announced members of the Climate Change Committee. First instruction. Now, this is an interim committee, and it will be a permanent committee as of May next year when it becomes the Independent Climate Change Commission, so it's committee now to become a commission. In the ensuing period, while it's a commission before it becomes a... while it's a committee before it comes a commission, they're going to have a look at the farmers. First instruction is have a look at how to get agricultural emissions down. Now, here's your problem. Uh, under the current ETS, agriculture, of course, is exempt for very, very good reasons. Cows fart, and we don't know what to do about it. So what this committee is going to do, apart from tax farmers, I don't know, but is there a single farmer, is there a single landowner in this country, by the time you deal with the cows and the ETS and the emissions and the irrigation and the water tax and the roads, is there a single farmer come 2020 who's going to be voting Labour or the Greens? Are, are, they, are they just overeating, is the that cows? I find, you know... A ju- digestion problem. If, you, if you're sort of tempted a bit too much... Yeah, you know, over dinner, and you you go back for that second helping. This is the man who's eaten an entire you, bag of chips so far this morning. Is well, that what it is? Eh? You call it a bag of chips. I call it breakfast. I mean, you know, a small starter. Yeah, I mean, I know. I realise that cows' stomachs are more complicated than my stomach. Uh, but and and that they don't eat beans or too much red meat or too much garlic. But I'm just saying, so, the thing that makes me fat the most is overeating. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd be able to afford to overeat at one of Jamie Oliver's restaurants, but... feel very sorry this morning for Jamie Oliver. He is the classic example of a good bloke who's let his business get away with him. And if you look at the great chefs of the world, people like Alain Ducasse... Uh, who runs a series, I mean, a lot of these guys run series of restaurants all over the world these days. Wolfgang Puck is another one. They're not necessarily spending all their time on television, and I think that's the death knell. You get your fame on television. You start off with a restaurant. You get your fame on television. Next thing you do, you're opening 50 restaurants in the world, and you've lost control of your business. Ramsey's come close to that. He still uh, maintains, as far as I know, a fairly successful operation, but he's getting big. I would argue dangerously big. And what Jamie Oliver, he made that classic mistake of sort of franchising himself out. He had the Italian branch, which never went any, uh, went any good. The reason I'm telling you this is his Australian operation's gone under. The whole thing's gone under. If you follow Jamie Oliver, he's been in some financial trouble for a period of time. But uh, his Australian operation yesterday completely collapsed. Voluntary administration. He only bought the thing last year. In fact, he bought the thing from a failed company a year ago which I would have thought's a red flag, but he's branched himself out so much that I'm sure he doesn't have a clue what he's doing, where he's running, how he's doing it, and I'm sure it's been a long time since he's touched a fry pan. 
and that part is, and he's running currently a debt of about 140 million. And that's before you get back to his operations in Britain. So you go back to your DeCasses and those guys who are actually chefs, remain chefs, and run fairly successful operations because they're constantly in the kitchen and they're monitoring quality and they're not franchising themselves so thin that they uh, lose touch. Whereas you've got somebody like Jamie Oliver, who's got so much going on all over the world. By the time he does his television, by the time he does his books, by the time he runs his program about getting turkey twizzlers out of the, uh, the school lunchboxes, He's got no time left to run his business, and the next thing you know, he's going under, which is a great shame because we had him on the program a couple of years ago, remember that? He's a lovely guy, delightful guy, very, very likeable guy. We should get him back on, actually. Yeah, do we call him a friend of a show? How many times do you have to come on the program to be called a friend? Just once, eh? And then you're our friend? Surely. Uh, We're going to finish up here. Uh, We've made lots of friends, I guess, and that's why we've been nominated for an award. Too slow. It's too slow. Oh, I just thought that... God's sake. It was a good point, and I was just wanting to let it sink in. Do but... you know this program got nominated for another radio award yesterday? And Hard as to I believe, sit, isn't I, it? As I sit here now, I think, how, how was that possible? How was that possible? I, I mixed the audio <laughs> part of that award. <laughs> they listen to this crap, and they go, whoo, this is entertaining. Basically, what we do is we go through... All the audio from yeah. last year. We took all the bad stuff out. We and take we, all my bits out. Yeah, and then, then and just compress all your bits. We're in. left with uh, forty-seven seconds for a year, and it's the slickest forty-seven seconds you ever heard. It's amazing. I really feel like it, it's the the less I have to do with the award entries, the better it is. And if if I could just persuade management that that is the case, maybe I wouldn't have to have anything to do with the award entries at all. It'd be the ideal scenario. I am Glenn ZB. Bitter and twisted Glenn ZB. That was the rewrap for another day. I'll um, try and sweeten myself up for you tomorrow. See you then. Listener.